welcome everybody here in person, also everybody online. We're so grateful to have you today. Um, all, also, uh, kids um, are dismissed to go with Pastor Becky for uh, our godly play that takes place at the Kids Table, Kids Ministry Program. And um, so I'm just so thankful that, that we're able to be together. Last week we had a little bit of a, what was that, ice, snow stuff, the winter things, right? Some people love winter, some of us are like, we just can't wait for spring, right? So I'm grateful that we're together today, even though we were able to be together uh, through technology last week. Um, well, as I was preparing for this message, I, I do some uh, intensive prayer time and just kind of reflection on the scripture and, and whatnot, and especially as we're in this, this kind of series about dreams. Well, I was thinking back to uh, a time about, what was that about 10, 11, 12 years ago now, when I was enrolling in seminary, so I had quit my job in environmental science and felt a call to ministry, and uh, enrolled full-time in Washington, uh, D.C., Wesley Theological Seminary, and had been brought on staff at a church not too far outside of Washington, D.C., and I was going to be the director of discipleship or the discipleship minister. And I was super excited. I actually was getting to serve with a friend of mine. He was the youth pastor at the time at that church. And I remember, uh, and maybe you have had an experience like this, but I remember meeting with like the lead pastor and like their like, um, personnel committee, and they're telling me about the church. And, you know, of course, how great it is, how wonderful, you know, we have what was it at that time, three services, one on Saturday night, two on Sunday, there's a contemporary service, there's a traditional service, and a Saturday night thing, and I'm thinking like, I have all these pictures in my mind of what things look like, and they told me, I said, Chris, when you come on staff, the first service you're going to preach at is this Saturday night service, and I had attended some other churches Saturday nights, and of course they had been like with the flashing lights and strobe lights and like the fog machine and all that kind of stuff, and I'm thinking like, this is going to be awesome, like, I, you know, I'm like so excited here, and so I uh, had my scripture prepared, went to write my message that week, and I was told that I needed to coordinate music with this gal named Melinda. She was the pianist who was going to be playing there. And I'm like, this is awesome. So we had a little talk about themes and whatnot. And I show up and I remember like standing at the back and first, you know, seeing Melinda. And she went to go get ready to start play, play, playing the prelude for the service. And I'm standing there and I see like a couple of people trickle in. And it was getting close to 5 o'clock when this service was going to start. And I look around, and there's like 10 people there. And they're all, you know, no offense, all over the age of 70. And I look over at Melinda, and I go to the piano, and I'm like, is this, like, should we wait a couple minutes? Like, people run late at the service? And she looked around, and she said, no, that's everybody. So I'm like, you know, my dreams and pictures of my first time preaching at this church went kind of by the wayside. Well, Lisa say, confession, I was frustrated. Uh, I wasn't frustrated at the church or the people that were there. They were lovely people. I wasn't frustrated at Melinda, the pianist. I was frustrated because I felt like, I, oh, this is a picture of, that's me and Drew, who's our youth pastor. Yeah, the whole robe thing, my little, little stole, that was our way of dressing. Um, but I, I, was, I was frustrated because I was gifted at this, 
And this is like what God was calling me to do. You know, I had visions. I believed I was going to be the next Joyce Meyer or Jen Hatmaker or the next like Carla Sundberg or Phoebe Palmer. I was going to be preaching to like thousands of people out there. And here are these like 12 people sitting like scattered throughout this sanctuary. And of course, I was spending all this money for seminary. <laughs> I gave up my research job for this for a Saturday night service of less than 20 people. All that planning and dreaming and preparing. And I, I did put on a good face. I put on a good face and preached that sermon and did that service and you know, got to meet everybody. But, but at the time, I was frustrated. I was frustrated with God and with life. I, I remember going to God that night and asking, is this really what you call me to do? this, right? It felt like a step down, not necessarily a step up. And I share that because I suspect that you have had, or maybe you're in right now, a season of life that you felt that way. See, we're in this series, Start Dreaming Again, that we've been talking about how God gives goals and dreams and aspirations, but mainly to be a part of a bigger story, a bigger story than, than us, that we're part of a story of building his kingdom here of bringing the, the things that God values to fruition here. And it's actually healthy for us to dream. It's a good thing for us to dream. And so in this series, we've been working alongside the story of, of a famous dreamer, a famous dreamer named Joseph, not from the New Testament, not the New Testament, Mary and Joseph from the, the Advent that we celebrated, but from the Old Testament, the one who is made famous by Donny Osmond, and the Broadway musical, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, found in the book of Genesis. And last week, we talked about and learned that Joseph was a dreamer in every sense of the word. He, he was, uh, last week we shared about, uh, he was in his teenage years, he was around like age 17, he was favored, he was the second to last son um, of 12 um, he was young, his father just loved him to death, but he was also kind of arrogant and headstrong at the same time. And last week we left off with this idea about how Joseph and him being favored really made people angry, especially, especially his brothers, his brothers who had had everything that they had ever wanted, and then Joseph comes up and he has this dream that says that one day he's going to have his brothers bow down to him. And they're like, what is this? Like, that just made them done. So they're angry, they hated him, and they wanted him dead. And the scripture is pretty explicit about that. Well, there's a situation that comes up that Jacob, their father, calls on Joseph to go out to the fields and find the brothers and, and go and to be able to tell them. And it's a kind of funny story in Genesis 37. And he goes out and he, Joseph actually gets lost. He probably didn't have a very good sense of direction. And he has to ask for directions from this guy. Eventually, he sees his brothers and he has to go connect with them. And so the story picks up in verse 19. Here comes that dreamer. They, the brothers, said to each other, come now, let's kill him, okay? Let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Have you ever thought about that, about one of your siblings? Then let's see what comes of his dreams, right? We'll see about that. We throw him in the well and let's be done with that. When Reuben, Reuben was one of the brothers, heard this, 
he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Uh, just throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the technicolor dream coat, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So what's more, though, the story goes on and says that as the brothers sit down to lunch, Joseph, he's been thrown into the cistern. He's, I guess, hanging out there. What do you do when you're thrown into the cistern? They're sitting down to lunch, and the brothers see in the distance, they see a caravan. And in those days, caravan went only one thing, traitors. Not like traitors, like somebody stab you in the back, traitor, but a traitor, somebody with goods and services who's going from a foreign land. And so all of a sudden, one of the brothers, Judah, gets a superb idea. And verse 26 says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and come up with, and come up his, cover his blood? Come, let's sell him, right? Why kill him? Let's sell him, make some money. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood, to which they all said, aw, right? He's very thoughtful here. His brothers agreed. Isn't it crazy, right? It's a crazy, crazy story. He's like sitting there eating lunch like, ah, ooh, yes, money. Ah, let's do this, right? And everybody agreed. Why kill him when we can sell him? But as you might guess, the next step for Joseph of pursuing his dream, remember the dream he had received from God, that one day they, he would be bowed down to. You see this situation? This is one step further from achieving that dream, don't you think? Right? To be sold? To be sold into slavery? Well, he is sold to Ishmaelites. They take him off in their caravan. And verse 39, or chapter 39 picks up with this story and tells us, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. He sold into slavery, right? He sold into slavery. We don't know how old Joseph is at this point. He's probably like Gen Y Joseph. He's like, you know, 30-ish or so. Um, you know, some of us here are, we're at that stage. Some of us have had kids who are at that stage. Some of us remember what it was like to be at that stage. You know, it's kind of like the stage when, like, you're ready to get established, like, take on your life, establish these dreams. Well, he's sold as a slave into a prominent member in Egypt into their uh, household situation. And get this, so slavery in Egypt, just, just to give you a description, um, this is a picture of actually an um, artifact that was done at that time. Um, slavery in Egypt, it usually consisted of prisoners of war. Prisoners of war. They, and also poor people, poor people who sometimes sold themselves into slavery for the benefit of their household, or they sold their kids into slavery. And believe it or not, there are places around the world this still happens. I have a friend who's working in the Philippines, in one of them, that parents will sell their children into slavery. It's crazy to think. It still happens today. And, and so slavery in Egypt, 
at, at the time, the point being this, is that once you were a slave, whether somebody sold you into it or you chose it, it was very hard to get out. It was almost impossible to get out. Once you were a slave, you had every reason to believe that your dreams are dead, that your life is basically over. But we see that's not exactly what happens in the story. So continuing, verse 2 through 6, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So imagine, imagine from Joseph's perspective, imagine what happened in his life. He was born into, we said last week, a wealthy, prominent family. He had these dreams that God had given him. And now, just a few years later, he's a slave in a hopeless situation. This was not a step towards the dream that he had received, that, that God gave him for his life and for the future. And yet, here is where something very surprising happens. First, Scripture emphasizes this fact. The master saw the Lord was with him. He saw there was something going on here. This, this part of the story, what Joseph does and accomplishes, I think it has so many lessons for us. When we, too, face a season that seems like a total setback that rather than a step up towards our dream. A, a time when, a season maybe when we feel like we're moving away from something that we expected or maybe things aren't quite turning out as we, we hoped. So in setbacks, I think Joseph shows us it's important to remember, first, no matter what, it's better to grow where we're planted. It's better to grow where we're planted. See, when Joseph was a slave, he had a decision to make. Uh, you know, the job of slaves at that time, you know what it consisted of? First, emptying chamber pots. Woohoo, right? Cleaning out the sewage, having nice little fun there. Cooking, getting fuel as the picture we just showed, showed uh, that we, people would have to haul fuel in order to be able to cook and, and, and for their source of, of, um, of heat. They had long days. There was no pay. There were no days off at all. You just worked from sunup till sundown. That was it. There were no thank yous. There were no benefits. It was nothing glorious or meaningful. You had every reason to grow disillusioned. And Joseph could have decided at that point, he could have decided that the dream that he had was over. That God maybe made a mistake, you know, giving this to him. Maybe God had left him, that he wasn't with him. Or, or he could choose something else. See, it's interesting in this story, we see a transformation here. From bragging, arrogant Joseph, teenage Joseph, to something different, a, a Joseph that chooses, even in the midst of circumstances that he did not choose, he chose to engage rather than disconnect. 
He worked hard instead of giving up and being hopeless. He believed that where God had him at that moment, even though others had made that decision that got him there, he chose that he was going to go somewhere with this. And I think that begs a question for us. Will we engage in that place we don't want to be? Will you engage in a place that you didn't choose, maybe somebody else affected or caused you to be? What if we would ask the question, like, like I believe Joseph asked himself, the question, what would God have me do here? Here, in this situation that's terrible. See, the key in those times is while we're frustrated and acknowledging that, it's not being all like lackadaisical, you know, butterflies and rainbows and everything's fantastic. It's saying, well, why I'm frustrated, I'm going to choose to engage. I'm going to grow where I am planted. And I'm sure that there's, there's those of us here that would say, you know, we feel that way right now. That we had life planned out, but we found out that maybe you're somewhere where you do not want to be in a lot of different ways. Maybe it, it's a job. You know, you wanted this other job, but you're, you're, kind, you're kind of stuck here. Maybe your family hasn't turned out how you pictured. When you, you know, first had these little ones and things have just changed a lot. And it just looks a lot different, or people were wrestling with different unexpected illnesses. Maybe there's a mental health issue that's come up that you never thought you'd face. Things have affected. Maybe your, your neighborhood is not what you thought it would be when you first moved there, or where you're living in your living situation. Maybe, maybe for you, you never wanted to ask for help, but here you are at a point that you need to, that you need to. Here you are, right? Here you are. It's easy to focus on what you don't have, on what you would like to happen. It's easy to envy where you aren't. And I think, you know, with our social media and all that stuff, like, that doesn't make things better. We're always tempted, we're tempted to compare others' highlight reels with our behind the scenes. We see what everybody else is doing, and it looks like everybody else is, is fantastic. Well, I have news for you, it is not. You can have the best house, the best job, the best looking family, and there can still be things going on. And when we're tempted in those moments, though, when we're tempted, it's helpful to be reminded that even here, you can grow. Even here, you can grow. But the only way for fruit in that kind of season in whatever that, that you are stuck in, the only way to bear fruit is to engage. To engage. Instead of focusing so much energy on what we don't have and what we thought we would have, that can actually keep us from seeing what we have and maybe how God could use the time that we're spending in that place. I think Joseph also shows us not just you know, to grow where we're planted, he also shows us that if, as we're faithful with little, God gives us more. God gives us more. And this is not a prosperity gospel uh, message by any means, but there is this funny little parable in uh, Luke chapter 16. A very funny little parable. We'll unpack it in a full message at some point. But Jesus shares this parable with a very similar principle to this. And there's a verse towards the end of that parable that says, Luke 16, uh, verse 10, Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little 
will also be dishonest with much. You live that, right? You've had that happen. See, Jesus is saying, though, why would God give you more if you're not doing with what you have right now? You know, how many of times do we use the words, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do anything until we blank, right? I do this. It's like, you know, when things get better or things get to this point, then I will do this. It's that when I just, and we kind of put those things off, it might be, you know, anything from maybe starting a family to, to going back to church or getting help for an addiction. Like, we, we put those things off to say, well, when it reaches like this point, and then it like never happens. Like, you never wind up doing when you say those things. Oswald Chambers, who's um, author of one of the devotions that I read in the morning, um, he says this a quote that has really stuck with me. I look it up, find, find it. But he says, the very character we exhibit in our present surroundings is an indication of what we'll be like in other surroundings. It's not a just wait until I get to this point and then I will blank. We see this in Joseph's life because something, something about him caught Potiphar's eye. As Joseph was seen to be responsible, uh, he was progressively given more, entrusted with more. Joseph thrived in the little things. He was faithful with them. He was fruitful with them. He didn't complain about what he didn't have. And I think the pathway to where we want to be is to be faithful with what we have, to work at it hard, to, to work at it hard as if you had everything that you wanted, as if life looked how you wanted to steward what you have well, our, our money, our home, even I'd say like our marital status. I know that there's a lot of folks here who are single for whatever reason. You know, what would it look like to steward that, to use your time? You know, maybe, maybe your family situation, uh, to say, you know, I have a, a certain resource here. What would, what would it look like? What can I do physically? You know, how would it look like to steward that, maybe for someone else's benefit? I don't know if we have any, any St. Louis Cardinals fans here. Any baseball fans? How about some baseball fans, right? Spring is on its way, remember that. Um, but, but there's a story, uh, I don't know if anybody has heard of him, uh, Saint, the St. Louis Cardinals manage, general manager, Mike Gersh. Mike Gersh, um, he's been there for, I what was that, about five years Five years now. A very interesting story. Very interesting story. So, uh, Mike Gersh, he would never, he didn't come from a baseball background, really didn't start out in that. He was in Chicago and he was dreaming of, like, hey, what would it look like? Wouldn't that be awesome to work in baseball in one day? And he was actually in an MBA program, in a, a master's program. And in that master's program, he wrote a paper on baseball performance. And in, after writing that paper, he thought that, well, I found out some interesting principles here. He mailed it to 30 teams around the country, and three of the teams actually responded, believe it or not, after they received the paper. Well, the Cardinals was one of them, and they offered him a job. You know what the job was? The title, this is pretty awesome, Coordinator of Amateur Scouting. This is like going to like middle schools and seeing who might be some up-and-coming players, right? And they paid him, they pay him almost nothing. But guess what? He had this dream. He said, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it a shot. He gave up his job at that time, and 
he went and became the coordinator of amateur scouting. And he was very, very faithful in that. And it was interesting, pretty soon, pretty soon, he became the scout of non-amateur scouting. And that's like the step up, right? Amateur scouting, the non-amateur scouting. And then he became the manager of baseball development. And over the next 14 years, in 2017, he was named the general manager of the Cardinals. Interesting story. I think it shows us, though, it takes time. And it's usually longer than you think. Longer than you think. It's not a microwave situation. It's not saying, okay, well, if I'm faithful for like a little while, like, God, come on, like, bless me, bless me, bless me. Like, no, that faithfulness, it takes time. It's not a recipe. But I think there's insight in that God honors that. God honors when we are faithful with what we have. And I think some of us, some of us don't see a way from where we are to where we want to be. But I just say this, please don't underestimate the power of being faithful with what you have. It says a lot. It says a lot about you. It says a lot about us, even as a church, when we can be faithful in circumstances that are less than desirable. In what seems hard, in a, in a place in our family or work life, in a diagnosis that was, was unplanned, when we can be faithful even in those circumstances. And for Joseph, for Joseph, when he was faithful when little, he was granted more. I think Joseph finally shows us, too, that our present prepares us for our future. The present prepares you for the future. I want, I want you to think about that. Your present is preparing you. God is using your present to prepare you for what's ahead. It, building something in you, teaching you, giving you strength, maybe for something upcoming. Joseph, of course, never dreamed about being a slave or a servant, but the things he was learning even in that season was preparing him for where God would take him. Because eventually, if you flip ahead in the story, he becomes the prince of Egypt. We'll get there in that story. He becomes number two over one of the most powerful empires in the world at that time. But when he was a slave, he couldn't see it. He didn't know it. He didn't know what was ahead. But it was the training ground for what God would do and who he would become. See, God was forming him and shaping him to become the person he was meant to be, skills aside, but the person he was meant to be. And on this, this weekend, um, tomorrow's a holiday, Martin Luther King Day. We remember and celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know if you knew this, but in 1955, um, Martin Luther King Jr. took on a church as a pastor called Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. See, it's interesting, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he was brought up in a household, he was raised in a household that, that was where he was taught about uh, justice and, and civil rights. And he was raised in that household, but never had the idea that all of a sudden he would become this like national leader by any means. He was going to be a pastor. He's going to pastor this little church. And so he took on that position. And what happened was there was a march that was going to take place um, a bus boycott following the arrest of Rosa Parks. And he offered what he had, a little church basement, 
a church basement for the organizers to get together and meet. And it was interesting because at that meeting, he was there. These are some, some pictures of his time at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And he was at that meeting, and lo and behold, as he's there, he was voted, much to his surprise, he was selected to lead the effort of this movement in Montgomery. And um, you don't want to know why he was selected? Because he was the new guy in town. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. He was selected because he was the new guy in town. They said, oh, you'll love it. You'll be fine. You know, everybody was like, yeah, right. Like, this is going to go great. Well, guess what? He went on to deliver one of the most memorable speeches of all time at that rally. And the effort, the effort of that little gathering in his church basement that he decided to open for that, it led to a Supreme Court decision ordering Montgomery to integrate the bus system. That was where he started. That was where he started. The days pastoring that church, his preparation from his parents and, and upbringing positioned him for the future. It was a bigger story than him. Something much bigger, bringing part of God's kingdom together. And it's a story I think all of us are invited to play into, a story that's bigger than us. But our present is preparing us for that preparing us for that future. And maybe for you right now, maybe a present relationship is going poorly, but maybe it'll prepare you for one in the future. Maybe a job isn't going well, but God is shaping you and teaching you skills for later on. Maybe the struggle you're in right now will prepare you for a call that God will have on your life later. And I think, you know, even in this COVID season, even in this, this COVID season, I guess now it's like COVID years, I guess. We're like in year number three. Remember back to the early days, we thought everything would be done in a month, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, no, and then it was like two months. It'd be like, by the end of May, you know, things will go back to whatever normal is, right? But for a lot of churches and places, should we just put everything on pause until it's over, right? What's with that? What's with that? What if the present is preparing us for the future, for, for what maybe God is doing in the future life of, say, the, the big C church, preparing for the future. Because isn't it interesting that even our church here at Table Life Church, uh, this is before my time, but from my understanding is, we never would have live-streamed our services hadn't COVID happened. That even right now and last week when we had bad weather, we never would have been able to worship together. We'd just cancel services and that's it. Or people that are sick or at home, they just, you know, good luck to them, you know. Think about that. It's also revealed other needs and things in our community. The present prepares us for what's ahead. And maybe we can't always see it. But what if we're being prepared? What if, what if our thoughts about setbacks was different than just waiting it out or scratching our heads or just throwing away our dreams? Get this. I put this, these words together. It's kind of cheesy. What if a setback is a setup for a step up? Can you all say that with me? I'm going to challenge you. Can you all say that? We have it up there. Ready? On the count of three. One, two. You, know, you guys at home, ready? One, two, three. A setback is a set up for a step up. Say that five times fast, right? But what if a setback is a set up for a step up? I want us to take encouragement from this stage in Joseph's life because there will be setbacks 
And I doubt that Joseph thought that emptying toilets and collecting crops had anything to do with his dream or what was ahead. And for you, it may be hard to connect the dots of what's been going on or is going on with, with your dreams, but I want you to be encouraged. Be encouraged. Joseph was being shaped. He lost his superiority and arrogance. God was doing something in him and replaced it with humility and maturity. God was doing that important work. And I think even for me, he did that important work. Because rewinding back to my experience after that preaching at the service for 20, for 15, 20 people, um, I, I can't say that I had the same unflinching loyalty as Joseph did. I have to say I complained about that and probably did for a while. But after a while, I came to the point that I decided I was just going to engage anyway. I learned to prepare my messages, learn to do research and spend the time on that as if I were preaching to a thousand people, even if there were 10 in front of me. That, that Saturday night service, while I was there, never grew, never grew, never really went beyond 20 people. It didn't grow, but I decided to. And a year later, believe it or not, I had the opportunity to co-pastor that church for eight weeks when the lead pastor had to take a medical leave. But I needed that season before that to be prepared for the season that was ahead. Until I saw the value of 20 people, I would not be ready for 200. A setback may be a setup for a step up, and the dreams may seem further, but I want us to be encouraged that God is especially present in those seasons of life. Remember these things. Grow where you're planted. Be faithful in little, because the present is preparing you for the future.